0: It's the Tennessee Power Hour on Outkick 360, live from the 6th and Peabody Broadcast Studio. I've been abandoned by my colleagues, but I have been joined by a friend. I'm Paul Kuharski, here with Blake Bettingfield. Thank you so much for joining me. A former scout, 19 years put in with the Tennessee Titans, the last six as director of college scouting, Now, does a bit of work that we're not allowed to know about shrouded in mystery for a, uh, dare I say, a variety of uh, people, outlets, teams. We do know publicly that you write for PaulKuharski.com, a very highly renowned outlet.
1: No doubt about it. I mean, one of the best... uh Websites out there, especially if you're looking for Titan information, they have some pretty good writers there, too.
0: He, uh, he's the only writer not bearing the name of the uh, site who writes. He writes a scouting preview of each game and a scouting review of each game with a perspective that very few people could offer. Let's dive right in, Blake. If you are in somewhat of an all-in mode for the Titans with the team that they have right now at five and two, and you were going to make a trade to bolster this team with the deadline being next Tuesday. What are you trying to go get, and what are you willing to spend for it?
1: You know, I think the two positions you have to look at if you're the Titans is is tight end. Uh, they missed a lot when they lost John U. Smith. They lost the athleticism, the, the receiving ability, the run-after-the-catch ability. There's been some really good players filling in. Mike Hale-Pruitt has is, is, is really come in and, and done a solid job uh, Anthony Furcher has really been a little bit of a disappointment after you know thinking that he was going to be that receiving option. Has had some injuries, obviously, but you know if, if they were looking to fill that spot and really expand the offense outside of Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, who's who's had his own injuries, and really AJ Brown, who's really emerged over the past few weeks. You know the 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 key is getting a getting a tight end that can be an athlete, uh, be a threat in the red zone, and they could go down to Miami. And go to Mike Gusecki. Mike's in his last contract year. He's it's uh, really going to be a uh, a situation where Miami can um, can offer him a contract. They're out of it right now. Uh, you know, their team is really struggling. Uh, they, they hate to lose offensive players, and he is one, but that could be that red zone threat. He's a good athlete. He's tall. He's long. He's fast. He could add a dimension they don't have at the tight end spot right now. That is a solid player. Uh, if they wanted to stay in the tight end, they couldn't get Gasecki. Uh, they could go out to Seattle. Seattle looks like they're struggling and, and out of it, especially without Russell Wilson, and pick up Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett is, again, another good athlete with. Speed after the catch. When they brought him in from the Rams, they really thought they had a piece uh, that was going to be a big part of their offense. But with Russell Wilson down, um, they're really struggling uh, as a team overall. So you know that could be a good spot uh, for a Gerald Everett and for the Titans, especially adding another athlete. If they're looking to What fill. are those guys worth, you think? You know, though we're, we're Giuseppe, not talking about a, I would think
0: not that expensive because he doesn't have much contract.
1: Exactly. I mean, you're talking about a, la, a later round draft choice. You're talking about a 6th round that could probably turn into a 5th. You, you really don't need to spend anything else, but he is a candidate to actually get extended too, if he comes in and really has a, a, a you know, a, a good second half of the year. So that would be a really good choice. What you're going to get in a 6th round pick next year? Is not going to add up oh, yeah, to a Mike Geseki. So, especially where your team is trying to go, you've you've hit your stride the last two weeks. AJ Brown, Derrick Henry. If you can ever get Julio back, uh, completely healthy, adding that other dimension, especially a third a receiving-type dimension to this offense.
0: Where were you going beyond tight end?
1: You know, beyond tight end, you got to go to the cornerback. And, and they've, they've spent a lot of resources, whether it's draft choices, but they're injured. And the one player that's, that's staying healthy has probably been their least effective. He did have his best game last, last week, which is Janoris Jenkins. There's been some... Uh, some guys that have really filled in well. Chris Jackson's filled in well. You know, at times, Brian Borders, they're asking a lot of these players. But you could go down and actually go out to Denver and pick up Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller's in the last year of his contract. This is an opportunity to pick up a veteran guy that could come in and play right now and have an opportunity to allow uh, Christian Fulton to come back from injuries allow Chris Jackson to fit back into the nickel role, which he's really uh, is his best spot, and then match up with uh, Janoris Jenkins, the veteran there. So, you know, those are some some solid options. You could bring in Cam Sutton from Pittsburgh, who looks like he's, uh, Pittsburgh's done as well. He has another year left on his contract, so it would be a little bit more expensive. But, you know, when you're talking about a player in the last year of their contract, um, especially a veteran player like a Fuller, that's an opportunity for a team to go out and pick up someone that can help now, and the other team on the other side of the tray gets something of value before he leaves in free agency.
0: So I told some Titans fans uh, who I know, and there are a few of them, that you were coming on. What, what do they want to know from you? Number one thing, automatically, what's with the slow play, the ease in of first and second round picks the last couple of years? Let's set aside Isaiah Wilson complete bust. But Farley took forever to get on the field. Now he's done for the year. Raidens we're just seeing now play some backup guard. Fulton last year, injured, that couldn't get him on the field really and do anything with him. He looks good now, but now he's on IR. And they seem all right with it. They don't they don't seem to have any sense of urgency to say, hey, we're a pretty good team. And now if we can get a first or second round draft pick on the field that could give us a significant boost and make us a better team. They seem like very like, oh, hum, we're a good team and we'll add these guys and eventually maybe they'll help us.
1: You know, when you're winning, those situations don't really become a problem. You would rather have the talent on the field. And and when you're talking about a talent like a Caleb Farley, really uh, maturing on the field as a rookie, now he's injured now for the year now, but but you want that a player to be out there and and, and actually grow into a role. Like you've seen Christian Fulton this year before his injury. You know, that was a player that it didn't get a lot of playing time his rookie year. He had some injuries but then had some other issues that uh, couldn't get on the field. But now he's come in and he's been a solid performer until he was injured. Uh, but the other players, the Dylan – Uh, Rad News, he's a player that played tackle, obviously sat out this past year um, in North Dakota, not having a season and decided not to play. And there is some growing pains that go along with that. When you talk about Farley and you're talking about the offensive lineman, it it does take a little bit to get back in the game, especially you've seen it with players that miss an entire year with an injury. Um, It takes a little bit to get back into it. They're not getting better just being on the bench. And they're not getting healthier uh, and growing as a player being on the bench. So it's real important to get them reps. Now, what has happened with the offensive lineman? He's now a guard. Instead of filling in at that right tackle spot. so you're spending a second-round
0: pick on a position where you let Conklin go, you drafted Wilson, and he busted. You need once and for all an answer, it would seem like. And you draft a guy who's not only not ready but turns into a guard. So, I mean, it's early to judge it, but at the same time, you feel like, well, I I guess the, the question then is, how well is Quesenberry playing? And is that satisfactory level
1: performance? You know, I think right now it is. Um especially in the run game. The run game takes so much pressure off this offensive line. It it probably would for the rookie as well. But, you know, they they give Quisenberry a lot of help on that side, especially with a top rusher. When they're playing a team that has a a dynamic left-side rusher, they're going to give a help, whether it's a running back or a chipping tight end. Uh, They're going to give a double team at times, and and they're going to change that up for Quisenberry and not just go man-to-man all the time. It would be the same thing with a a rookie right tackle. But you're talking about two different players the rookie looks like a guard. And and skill set-wise, his ability, even in preseason, when he got reps at both position, he really fit better at guard. Now, guard just happens to be a strength of the Titans' offensive line with, with Saffold and Davis. You know, that's a He's not going to come in and replace those two players unless it's for injury, which he did a little bit uh, last week for, for Saffold. And Saffold is, is battling a lot of those injuries, especially in, I think he's around 33 years old. So those things aren't going to go away. And and maybe he's there for next year. But when you're talking about a second round pick and a hole at the right tackle position, you want to draft someone to fit that need now.
0: Let's flip to defense. Uh, you were a big fan of Danico Autry as he came into free agency. Uh, and and for all the guys we're talking about that haven't quite hit, he's playing maybe the best ball of his career right now, it seems like. They not only got a big ad for a defensive front that wasn't producing enough, but took him away from the team they're about to play this this week and weakened a division rival. Is this really kind of what you pictured him potentially being here, Danico Autry?
1: No doubt about it. This is exactly what I had thought when I kind of recommended him – on one of our shows and in the writings, about bringing Danico Autry in. Danico's a player that can play all along the defensive line. He's a tall, lanky uh, player that's really at his best when he's slant and pinching inside and really creating disruption, penetrating in the backfield, maybe not making the play all the time, but forcing plays to other players. And When you're talking about Landry and Dupree and Jeffrey Simmons and and other players on that uh, defensive front – you're talking about someone who can really uh, force plays to to other players. Danikar was a player when he came out of Mississippi State was a, a undersized defensive end pass rusher. And as he grew in the NFL and developed, this is a player that's really developed into a swing inside outside pass rusher. Plays the run extremely well. He's not a high rep player. He's not a high. He's not going to play a, a ton of plays. But what he does, he's impactful when he does play. And he's impactful whether he's playing on the outside as a rush end or kicking down. Down on the inside and he's so quick long and athletic it's a change up from the Jeffrey Simmons on the inside or the Tier Tarts uh, he's a different matchup he's a different blocking assignment and he's so quick Jeffrey Simmons, Tier Tarth, they're going to win with some power at times. They're going to shed blocks with some with some explosive punch and, and hand use and strength. Danico's going to slip and dip and, and win on the inside and, and, and slanting and pinching into those gaps. And that's really what you want. Someone who's a little different brings something uh, a, a little bit different skill set, especially in the rush game, but also in the run game.
0: Let's talk about injuries real quickly. I didn't get to the injury report. Uh, things looking up for a lot of guys, but not looking up for uh Kari Blossom game who did not play, did not practice today, second day in a row. Julio Jones with the hamstring did not participate second day in a row. Roger Saffold did not participate second day in a row. Thierry Tartt did not participate second day in a row. So those are bad Derrick Henry got a rest today, did not practice. Josh Reynolds, sick, did not practice. Everybody else trending up. T.Y. Hilton limited today. He had said before practice that he was going to try things out for the Colts. So hopefully he's trending uh, in, in a, well, hopefully for the Colts, he's trending in a, in a good direction. Um, on the draft front. Trey Smith, Trey Smith, Trey Smith, everybody, everybody said, you know, here at Kansas City, waited, found a guy who was a day one starter for them in the sixth round while the Titans drafted a second rounder in Raidens who, who, you know, hadn't played until the seventh game and turned into a guard, uh, like this was the biggest miss, miss in the history of the draft. I think he could play this game with any draft pick who hits, and then I saw Trey Smith play this weekend, and he looked pretty damn bad, Plus, you sprinkle in that he's a Vol and so many people around here are are dedicated to the Vols. How bad a sin do you consider it that the Titans didn't take Trey Smith, considering that he also has some injury history, not injury history, health history that could resurface later in his career?
1: You know, when you're talking about a medical issue like Trey Smith had, the blood clots, that that completely takes it out of the hands of the general manager, the head coach, the scouts. That's on your medical personnel. Uh, obviously, he fell to the sixth round on a lot of teams' boards, on every team's board except for one. And, and they they at that point, Kansas City felt the value of the player and what they're going to get. This is a second-round player. This is a starter in the league. He obviously is. And he's a player that's going to grow and really develop into a, a, a solid run blocking, but he's on a pass, passing team. He's a really good run blocker, and he has, de- he has the skill set to develop as a really good pass protector. He's strong, he's aggressive, he's tough, he's got a lot of, of skills to, to really grow his game. Do you take that risk in the sixth round? Sure, you do. Because what you're going to get value-wise for the player, really anything after the fourth round, fifth, sixth, and seventh, you're looking for a player like this that falls for whatever reason. If it's a position not of need, you still take it because at some point it's going to create value for your roster. It's going to keep you from having to draft someone higher the very next year. Um, you know, Trey Smith is an excellent player. I remember meeting him his senior year of high school, and he looked like a pro then. This is a guy that came out of Jackson, Tennessee, and was outstanding as a as an offensive lineman in high school, went to Tennessee, had those issues. But when he played, was extremely productive, and and you could see the skill set. He played all along the line at Tennessee. He played left tackle. He played guard. And, and you could see it. And, and I think Kansas City really got a good player. Now, where Kansas City's issues are, they have a rookie center and a rookie guard, they've got a veteran out at right tackle that they they try to replace. They have a really a right tackle that they overpaid that's playing left tackle and and that's really their issue. They've got some mix and match match pieces uh with a quarterback that's never in the spot that's designed by the play design. He 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 moves so much in the pocket. I don't care if you have five all-pro studs on the offensive line. It's going to be hard to block for him because he's never in the spot he's supposed to be.
0: One one area I could be sympathetic to the Titans on Titans fans on that is here they've taken Caleb Farley who was hurt, uh, you know they, they've dealt with a lot of hurt guys. So for Trey Smith's injury or health issue to be preventative is interesting when other health issues have not been. Kevin Byard resurgent. Rashawn Evans has made a couple plays, but his development has not been what we expected. We'll talk with Blake Benningfield, the former Titans scout, about those issues and more. When we come back to Outkick 360 here at 6th and Peabody. Outkick 360 back at 6th and Peabody Broadcast Studio. Old smoky moonshine, you yeehaw beer. What could be better? Come, imbibe, take an Uber home. It's perfect, perfect recipe. Blake might have some moonshine to take home with him after this show,
1: or during the show. It's a fantastic place. I tell you what, it's a lot of big crowd here tonight. He just said to me,
0: "Is "Is it always full like this?" And I said, "Yeah, pretty much. It's always full like this. It's hard to find downtime here. If you want downtime, it's probably not not your spot." Kevin Byard, Tennessee Titans free safety, last year was really not very good. He looks a lot more like the Kevin Byard of previous years. What What's changed for him?
1: You know, I think the obvious, it's a second year with this coordinator, uh, understanding what he wants. It's, it's, it's also, he's just freer to play. You've got a pass rush now that you didn't have a year ago. And you're creating pressure on the quarterback. Maybe it doesn't result in sacks all the time, but what it does, it, it results in getting the ball out in a hurry. Um, and, and when you do that, the, the safety, and especially Byard. Byard has excellent ball skills, really good ball instincts with, with, with the ball in the air. Uh, he's a good run-down defender as well. But, you know, this is a guy that can do a lot of different things back there. And Last year, he was spending so much time uh, covering for his corners. Uh, not sure that they were going to be in the right spot. And a lot of times they weren't. And I I think he has a comfort level this year, and you can see it the way he's flowing to the ball in the air. He's also a free defender a lot of times, uh, especially on some of the tip balls, and you see him coming down with it. That's what he was back in college. That's what he was early in his career, and that's what he's gotten back to this year. And it's changed that defense, even without a consistent starting safety next to him with Amani Hooker being injured for most of the year and having bits and pieces next to him. He's still playing free, and he's gone, gone back to being a playmaker, especially with the ball in the air.
0: Are the Colts better equipped to handle this front four, uh, seven sacks in the last two games for the Titans, and that, that front four that's been playing really well? You expect Indianapolis to
1: handle it better? You know, I, I don't. I do and the reason I say that is I really don't like the tackles for the Colts. With Braden Smith being injured, he may play this week, but being injured uh, previously and, and really not having a viable left tackle. Yes, they have a name in Eric Fisher, but Eric struggles, and he struggled in the first matchup. He definitely struggles with speed on the outside coming around the corner, but he also struggles with that powerful power rush that a Bud Dupree can give. He's going to struggle on the outside, especially with a Harold Landry with the bend and the movement around the the edge, uh, but on the other side, you know, the, they really ha- they really don't have that right tackle uh, to handle this this uh, rush that the Titans have uh, shown the last couple of weeks. And then on the interior, Quentin Nelson—you can still see—he's banged up. He actually got a little dinged up in the game last week. Uh, came back in and played. Uh, Ryan Kelly's a sol- solid center. Um, Gloskowski's always been the, um, the the weak point on the offensive line at right guard. Glowinski, right? Glowinski, yeah. You know whatever. Um, he, he doesn't even uh,
0: want to learn his name. There are two, if you read Blake at my site, there are two people in the division who he can't stand Glowinski, who he doesn't even want to acknowledge by name because he doesn't think he deserves that respect, and Wingard, yes, the, the safety, safety from, from Jacksonville. He cannot understand why these two players are cast in the roles they're cast in by these teams. We need them out of the division. So that you can pound on somebody new.
1: Well, you know, when I watch them play, so I write about them in the preview. And then when I watch them play, they just, they, they, everything I I say, they live up to everything I've, I've mentioned in that writing. So in week after week, if you're a coach or a personnel person, how are you not changing that personnel? Um, If if you're not making plays and you're actually giving up plays each time, it's time to make a change. And you know, for the offensive line, if you're the weak link on a pretty solid offensive line, that's one thing. But, you know, now that they have the, the missing pieces at the right tackle position and the left tackle, and you're maybe not even the weak link anymore, that's, that's tough. And, and that's where the Colts' offensive line is. And, and the, the defensive line for the uh, Titans, I'm sure Danico Autry, will be amped up again to make plays versus his former team.
0: Rashawn Evans has made a couple plays the last couple weeks. I, I don't want to go crazy. It's a couple plays. That guy is in his fourth year. He was a premium draft pick. We had Keith Bullock here. We, we broadcast from the stage uh, out in the courtyard. And he was politically polite, but but sad. He's, he can't tell what the Titans are asking him to do. There's such hesitancy in his game. Why has this guy, as you've watched him now, into his fourth year, and now he's surrounded by better people? Maybe that's why he's made a couple plays, but why? What's What's been lost for him? And you watched him at Alabama.
1: This is what they drafted at Alabama. This is this is what he was. Uh, he's a rundown defender that actually at Alabama would rush around the edge at times and had a lot of success doing it. Um, he's never been a really good in pass coverage. Uh, he's not a man-to-man coverage defender. Uh, especially down the field on a tight end, or or even versus a quicker running back, especially a running back like a Naheem Hines, so to speak. Uh, he's not a shadow for a for an athletic quarterback like a Kyler Murray. He's a very good tackle to tackle, run down defender that has some speed and he'll strike you on contact. But he's been a really good rusher back in college. They just haven't asked him to do that, so he's become. I don't one think de- they think
0: he's big enough to. You do know,
1: it. and and maybe that's their thinking. But but when he gets to the quarterback um in college and you draft that player you you're drafting the player that that you saw on film okay you're drafting the player you You scouted on film, and that's what he was. He was never a a good coverage linebacker, and he hasn't developed into that. And he really doesn't have that kind of game like if David Long has progressed as a coverage linebacker. That wasn't his game when he came out of West Virginia either, but he's developed that. Because why? He has speed and quickness and athleticism, and he has really good instincts with the ball in the air. And he has a little bit of that uh, instinctive rat ball play that you like to see in a linebacker. You know, Rashawn is more of downhill. Anytime there's play action, Rashawn gets sucked in. Why? He's ready to attack the downhill run play. But that's the player they drafted, and that's the player they got. And, you know, he's been, in the past, a really good short yardage linebacker. Uh, He will hit you, and he is very aggressive. He is one of the players on that defense. Jeffrey Simmons is another that gives you a little bit extra at the echo of the whistle. And whether it's on the tackle, the second guy in, he's going to really pound you. In. And that, that adds up in the course of the game. So he does add some value. Is he a value player considering he was drafted uh, in the first round? Maybe not because he's not that three-down linebacker that you need.
0: Do you think he gets more than a one-year deal on the market from like one of those teams the Titans was worried about taking him? Like It seemed like they feared the Patriots were going to take him. I, I'm imagining him getting like a one-year deal from the Patriots who see if he can rush from the edge in a way that the Titans haven't tried him and and try him out as a situational guy. They move around a little bit more. But is he going to be worth more than that on a free market?
1: You know, I think there's going to be a team that looks for intensity. They're going to look for aggressiveness that they don't have currently on the roster. And he could be of value to a team like that because he does have – does have those traits. Now, the thing is, is like if you talk about the Patriots, like a Dante Hightower, same school, very similar type player. When he was at Alabama, he rushed from the outside and he played some inside linebacker. Well, what do the Patriots do? They have him rush and they have him play. He's not in coverage a a lot. Now, he's a little bit more instinctive uh, than Rashawn, but he's a a player that they move around a lot and put him with his strength. And his strength is rushing at times on third down and playing the run from the inside on, on rundown plays.
0: So Todd Downing has turned this team into much more of a three-wide than a two-tight team. You think that's pre-prescripted, like in the offseason, the way the personnel went, John, who left, Julio Jones came in, and they said, hey, our best personnel is three-wide, so we're going to play more three-wide, and that they did that because they were doing it even when – AJ and Julio were out, they were still more three wide. Well, they still didn't have good tight ends like we were talking about earlier. Do you think the personnel dictated it and they stuck with it even when the personnel wasn't what it was? Do you think it's smart to be that way? Do you think it modernizes them? What do you think about that dramatic change? Last year, I think they were 35% too tight. Now, I think they're more like 13, if I'm remembering correctly, from when I ran the numbers a couple weeks
1: ago. You know, I think it's personnel uh, dictated, and and, and you look at it, because last year you could put John U. Smith, you could flex him out, he could be in the backfield at times blocking, he could be on the line as a wide tight end and and really block. You know, right now, if you put Jeff Swain in, he's not really that receiving threat, okay? Michael Pruitt has caught some balls in those situations, so now teams are going to have to pay a little bit more attention to him, but he's not really that run-after-the- catch-type threat like a John U. Smith was. So when you take a some of those personnel and put multiple on the field, an Anthony Ferkser, a Michael Pruitt, or a Jeff Swain. You know, you're talking about really uh, a lessening your talent on the field. What would you rather have, a, a Marcus Johnson, a Chester Rogers? Those type players, you know, I think they envision a Josh Reynolds being that third wide receiver, but Josh Reynolds isn't the blocker. Okay, now when you go back to last year's team, John o. Smith evolved into a, a good blocking tight end. He wasn't initially when he was drafted, uh, but he evolved into one. And Corey Davis was a really good blocking receiver. They don't have that uh, if you talk about that, that extra receiver, especially with Julio Jones missing so much time. Where's that extra blocker? Okay, So what you do is you put three wide receivers on the field, spread it out. Now they have to match on the opposite side of the field with another defensive back to tackle Derrick Henry. Instead of that being an extra linebacker that you could leave in the game, they're mixing and matching personnel, and it really benefits a run game when you can have a Derrick Henry going up against maybe a nickel corner.
0: So Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo were reasonably expensive tandem at outside linebacker. Since then, they've not spent a lot of money at the position. Now they've got Bud Dupree, who they invested in big time. Now Harold Landry is on track to, to uh, get himself a big contract. I think it'd be crazy not to sign him when you finally developed an in-house pass rusher which you're always looking for, right? You're always looking for him. You're going to develop him. You let him go when you sign Bud Dupree, and now you're going to let your own guy go and sign with somebody else. So I'm thinking you've got to got to sign him. So now you're going to... T- I want to talk to you about the economics from the inside, which you watched for 19 years. You go from last year having no real money players at outside linebacker to next year, conceivably, if you sign Landry to having Landry and Dupree with big dollars next to their names. And your whole accounting table changes. How does the front office kind of deal with that? Robinson has to have seen that coming potentially, but still it's a dramatic shift.
1: So you can kind of see it this past year. Okay, they, Two years ago, they drafted Christian Fulton. Okay, That's a pretty low-salary type player as a second-round pick. You draft Caleb Farley. Okay, so no longer are you spending money at the corner position. Now, you, you spent some value or some, some draft capital. capital, but you're not spending the big dollars uh, in, in a draft choice. So, with the hope of the drafting those two players, well, now you have your two outside corners for the next four years running. Now you have to spend money. So, you go out and buy a Bud Dupree, uh, you get a Denico Autry to rush from the inside, you have Jeffrey Simmons who's going to come up eventually. And now Harold Landry has really emerged. I think this was the year for Harold. You know, it's it, it's obviously a contract year. But last year, you probably could have let him walk, even though he did some good things. He still didn't produce as much as you want. Well, Now he's producing. Uh, he's producing to the point to where he's going to want Bud to pre-money and they're gonna to have to pay that because now you're gonna to have to go with those corners on the outside. Janoris Jenkins won't be here next year. You're gonna have Christian Fulton, you're gonna have Caleb Farley, probably gonna draft another one. And moderately priced corners. And that's where you're you're changing the so money out it. from from the team. Malcolm is, Butler and the Dory
0: Jackson are gone. They were expensive or going to be expensive. Logan Ryan was expensive. Now that money that money down outside linebacker money up.
1: And, and the only issue is now A.J. Brown's contract's going to come up soon. Uh, Julio Jones is an expensive player. You have some expensive players on the offensive line. Uh, when you're talking about Taylor Lewan and Roger Sappold, right? Ben Those Jones, that's where you're going to switch it out. That's why you draft that, that guy in the second round to hopefully take a spot and with paying a Harold Landry, which you're going to have to do because he's just now hitting his prime years and he's going to get the prime money, uh, you're probably going to have to let a really good player on the offensive line go. You
0: worry about Landry at all in the contract year sense? Or, like, how do you measure this is the progress of Harold Landry versus this is the contract year of Harold Landry?
1: You know, I think it's the progress of Harold Landry. You know, we saw what he was the first few years. He was a one-dimensional pass rusher. Now they've he's not only developed – uh, a different part of his game. He's always been a hustle player. He he chases down the line. He'll chase downfield to, to get involved in the run game. But now he's working, and, and the defense is doing a good job of of lining him up in different spots, and they line him up at, uh, on the inside as a stack position over the tackle, and they let him pick and choose his alleys where he's going to rush, and he's very good at it. One one of the things that Harold has is a skill set that you'd like to see in a rusher or an inside linebacker, which he has the ability to do in those in those situations is he has really good foot, foot, uh, first-step quickness. He can really get to the ball quickly, and he's got good instincts to do it. You can tell he's comfortable in this defense, especially in year your, your two as well. And moving him around has given him that freedom to rush from different angles, not just using that one outside speed rush. That's the way to counter a counter move is by moving a player around, not necessarily – you know, he never really developed that inside rush. He didn't develop a power rush. He still has that dynamic outside speed rush, but now he's rushing over the guard. He's rushing over the center. He's rushing in between the tackle at times, and it's really helped his game.
0: Jacob, show the people a little bit of Blake's uh, writing as we finish some Titan stuff here. We're going to head into some SEC scouting reports um, on that stacking stuff, I'm wondering, can you see Shane Bowen? Can you see Jim Schwartz as you watch game plans and schemes unfold? How much do you see characteristics of coaches or is is that mysterious to you?
1: You know, I think you can. And I, it, I,
0: saw, uh, I saw Landry real wide. Somebody sent out a picture of him in an 11, better yet a nine. And I said, well, that's Jim Schwartz.
1: And, and also when, when Danico Autry goes out to a defensive end position and twist on the inside, that's, that's a little bit of a Schwartzy as well uh, that he used to do with a Kyle Vandenbosch that would that would line up outside and Albert Hainsworth on the inside or flop those those two and Hainsworth would line up as in the end and, uh, and Kyle Vandenbosch would line up on the inside. You know, those are things that you can mix and match with if you have the personnel. Now they have a different personnel. It's not the same – group of guys at that position a lot and and harold landry has evolved into this player now they they could not do that in year one with harold landry or year two you know he's evolved into that type player as he's gotten more comfortable in the nfl and kind of knows who he is now And, and that's why you can change that around and i think shane bowen who took a lot of criticism from a lot of fans and i heard it and and read it and the guy's done a really good job and, and I think, uh, you know, people need to pat him on the back. And I think Todd Downing's done a good job, too, uh, especially, you know, after the first couple of weeks.
0: Okay, we may circle back to some more Titans stuff, but I asked you if you would kindly give us scouting reports on three big SEC prospects. Um, and you do this at, at the site as well in the spring as, uh, as we get ready for Titans draft. We're a long way away from that now. But it's certainly uh, – with you here, a good opportunity for us to check in on some of these guys from an NFL perspective. So, Matt Corral, obviously the most interesting guy in the SEC as an NFL prospect, old Mrs. quarterback. Tell us about what he looks like to an NFL scout.
1: You know, if you look at Zach Wilson that was taken out of BYU, this is a tougher more physical, competitive version of Zach Wilson. Very similar arm set, uh, very similar size. You know, you're talking about six, five, which is 6'1 and 5'8". He's he's just right around 198, 200 pounds. He's got really good athleticism in the pocket. This is a quick uh, ear level delivery that comes out of his hand with some zip. Uh, he moves around in the pocket extremely well, which he is a quarterback in the NFL. If you can't move and elude in the pocket, especially with the pass rushers today, we just talked about that. How much money these pass rushers are getting? They're trying to get to these quarterbacks, and you can't put all the money in the offensive line. You got to have a quarterback that can elude and avoid. Now, one thing with Matt Corral that that he's going to have to. to to pull back a little bit in the NFL is taking those hits. He likes to run the ball over the past couple of weeks. Uh, he's real been real effective running the ball and, and had a lot of success, but he takes a lot of shots. You can't survive 17 weeks in the NFL and hopefully the playoffs if you're going to take those kind of shots. This guy's very smooth. He's very poised in the pocket. Uh, he's got an effortless getting the ball out of his hand. Like I said, he can deliver with velocity, whether it's outside the numbers or downfield. He always keeps his eyes downfield. We're talking about those 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 special guys that do off script plays that he has. You know, Matt Corral is going to be a top five pick. Probably going to be the first pick in the draft uh, if a quarterback needy team is looking for him, and he's going to be a good NFL quarterback uh, pretty quickly. A little bit of a change from the offense that he's running at Ole Miss, where you know they'll run some four and five receivers at times, and 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 pass the ball around the yard so much. He's going to have to play within a structure of the of the offense a little bit more than what he does in college. It's not going to be so so free that way Uh, but this is a competitive player it's got some moxie to him he's got some toughness and I like him if Zach Wilson can go two, this guy'll go one
0: how about that well we presume somebody falls in love with the the best quarterback and there aren't a lot of quarterbacks to choose from it doesn't look like at at this stage Um, we're going to get similar reports on Derek Stingley and Adam Anderson and I don't know if we're going to have the time if we have the time we'll find out who Blake Bedingfield thinks is the best team in the AFC right now. From 6th and Peabody. Facebook has changed its company name to Meta, and that's going to alter everybody's world. Welcome back. Outkick 360 at 6th and Peabody Broadcast Studio I'm Paul Kuharski, abandoned by Jonathan Hutton and Chad Winthrow, as I like to call them. I'm joined by Blake Benningfield, former longtime scout with the Tennessee Titans. He has put on his scouting hat to talk college ball, and we have covered Matt Corral. We're going to look at two other SEC great players right now, see what Blake thinks of them as we get close to them coming into the NFL. We're going to go to Derek Stingley Jr., LSU's fine Cornerback, what uh, what's he look like?
1: You know, he's about six one. He's about one hundred ninety pounds. This is a really good athlete. He's injured now for the year, and he missed some games last year too, which really concerns me. When you're talking, sounds like about a titan. When you're really they won't talking. be in range. For I knew he's going to say that. <laughs> um But he is. He, he, the durability issues are a problem. Last year, Alabama game with Devonte Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, was a problem. Uh, but this guy has every tool that you like. He's tall. He's long. He's extremely fast and athletic. He's got good ball skills. He's got excellent hips. He can turn and run coming out of a pedal. He can cover vertical, and he can also come up and play the run. He's not going to strike you. He's not. He's just going to wrap you up and get you down, but that's what most corners do to survive these days. Uh, you know, the LSU team is not a good team the last two years. And I don't know if, you know, Derek's just looking to the uh, to the NFL, but I would do some research on that. Uh, injuries are a problem. This is a guy that can be a Marshawn Lattimore-type corner. Uh, he can be a man-to-man, shut-you-down type guy. Uh, Marshawn had a lot of injuries coming out of Ohio State. This is a guy that had chronic hamstrings coming out. And that was one of the concerns on draft day uh, when you're talking about taking Marshawn. And it will be with Derek Stingley, too these injuries that continue to creep up in his three-year career. He hasn't had an interception from his freshman year when he had six picks as a freshman. He hasn't touched the ball since then. Um, And this is a guy that plays top-caliber receivers every week in the SEC, but he's got everything you want. He's a top-ten talent. Uh, If everything checks out, and I would do research before I selected him, uh, but it's hard not to. When you're talking about last year's draft, and you're talking about Farley and J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain, I like Patrick Sertain better, but he fits in number two ahead of J.C. Horn and and ahead of Farley. So, you know, you're talking about a a, a top-caliber corner right off the bat.
0: As I read about Adam Anderson, I I like this idea that as he approaches the end of his collegiate career – He still plays what they call a disruptor position on special teams.
1: He's a disruptor because he's 6'4", 230, and can fly. This guy can bend and get around the edge. Uh, He can stand up. He can put his hand down on the defensive line. He has got that great get off and bend around the edge, and he is an explosive pass rusher because of his speed. He has a counter move that he'll work an outside to end speed rush. Get the get the offensive tackle off balance and work the inside. And he is uh, very explosive with it. Now he's very raw. He stands up a little tall. He gives his chest offensive tackles in the NFL are going to pound him when he does that he's got to be able to work his techniques and fundamentals a little bit better but the skill set is off the charts and his production is really good as well on a very good Georgia defensive line Uh, this is a team you're going to see well into January uh, probably in a national championship type game and he's going to be a big part of it because he can really chase anybody down Uh, the special teams thing is because he's so athletic he can do so many things Um, he's dynamic he's hard to block uh, he's good in the run game. Uh, But this is a guy that's going to run extremely well. You know, I I hated to compare him to Leonard Floyd that came out of Georgia because they look just alike. But Leonard was raw like that coming out as well. Had that same speed, uh, straight line. Leonard was more straight line. This guy's got the bend and the movement skills It's just a tick better. And uh, he's probably going to have a really good NFL career. Needs a good defensive line, pass rushing coach to help him work on his fundamentals. He's not a guy that's ready. I mean, he's ready-made now. But – he needs some development to turn into probably a Pro Bowl caliber player. Again, another top 10 type player.
0: Let's shift back to Titans Colts. Why is Chris Ballard so popular among national media? I know he's probably friendly to national media, but it seems to me he's failed the Colts in several departments. They don't have the explosive receivers they need. They don't have the corners that they need. If they lose on Sunday, they're going to be four games technically behind for the division before November 1st.
1: You know, Chris Ballard, I've known him for um, decades and he's a good scout. He's an evaluator and he's one of those people that does his due diligence on players. Um, You know, you can be a scout and not be a roster builder. Not saying he's not, because his first year, you know, he went in and got Quentin Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard. You're talking about two uh, stalwarts and and core players on your team. And he's drafted and had some success. I really love the trade two years ago with DeForest Buckner for the 13th pick overall. Uh, and, and then Panty, because DeForest is a difference maker on that defensive line. Drafting a Grover Stewart uh, later in the rounds out of a Fort Valley State. This is, a, this is a guy that evaluates all levels. Doesn't just evaluate the top schools. He'll evaluate all levels. So, Chris Ballard is very good. Now, they put too much into T.Y. Hilton. Love T.Y. Hilton. Love what he's done in the NFL. I'm a big fan. But, you know, the thing is, is that his small receivers, once they get hurt, they stay hurt. It's hard to get well, and you can tell – got another injury. He's tough as nails when he's out there. He's just got a lot of injuries. Michael Pittman's been a nice find for them, but they lack that vertical downfield threat and they got a quarterback that can throw vertical downfield and they just don't have it. Pittman can get there at times, but he's got to work it in his route. Uh, He's just not They just don't have that blazer without a Hilton being healthy. Um, You know, but you you think of what Ballard's done. He had Andrew Luck, and he decides to retire uh, for some reason. And then he goes out and had to get an aging uh, Phillip Rivers, who was done when he kind of walked in the door, and then picked up a Carson Wentz, who they had to kind of – you know, re image him and and make him a player again, but they don't have the players around him uh, to really give Wentz what he needs because what he needs is he needs some vertical uh, threat type receivers. And they didn't get that, and that's a problem. And then on the flip side, they really don't have the corners. You know, they, they drafted a Rocky Sin in the second round. He's been a disappointment. Xavier Rhodes is a good player, but again, a, a veteran player that is battling that calf injury week in, week, in, week out. And he's going to battle it all year just at his age. He's a good player when he plays, but it's going to be tough. Um, he's, he's, he's developed this team to a certain point. Uh, I think he wanted to develop it under Andrew Luck and just unfortunately – He decided to retire.
0: Who's the best team in the AFC South right now?
1: AFC South? is, is No, t- Edson, oh, AFC. Oh, it's AFC, I still got to give it to Buffalo. And, and I like Buffalo because I like what they have. And they have some young players that are still emerging, too. You got a couple of pass rushers that they drafted this year uh, that still really hasn't hit their full stride yet. Uh, Stephon Diggs really hasn't broken out like he did a year ago. You know, these are players Dawson Knox has really kind of emerged. They, they lack the run game, which is a little bit of a disappointment there. Um, but I, I like that Buffalo Bill team. I think when it gets cold and you start playing in Buffalo, they're going to be they're built for that and and i and i like the team that they have um you know baltimore they've lost so many players marcus peters ronnie stanley uh they they continue to lose guys one running back after another And, and i think that's tough to overcome especially when you have to have that uh can lamar take them further in the playoffs that's going to be a big deal but um you know i like those teams kansas city i haven't ruled them out yet but you know, Cleveland with Baker Mayfield's shoulder, he's going to be battling that all year, and that's not going to get any better. So,
0: Blake Benningfield, kind enough to join us. His piece has already been filed. He always meets a deadline. Read it at paulkuharski.com. First thing tomorrow morning. Tomorrow, Bobby Carpenter, Brent Hubs and Austin Price from VolQuest. Uh, huge NFL preview. Hutton's underdogs, my props. Thanks to all of the cast of thousands that make this show happen. Too many to list in the short time that I have left Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. We'll see you tomorrow.